This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, what's happening? Welcome once again to the DLR Cast, the podcast by and for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. As well, as always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend, the ever wonderful Mr. Darren Paltrowitz. What's happening, Darren? It is a nonstop Friday, but it is a good Friday. It's a great Friday. It's it's, a, it's just a lot of greatness going around. I great, think that's the same by you. Uh, same here, man. And before we dig into this week's episode, speaking of great, we want to say uh, we want to. I want to get. We want to give a big thank you and hello to a slew of new subscribers and listeners, downloader, downloaders, streamers, the whole bit, uh, who have discovered us, it looks very, who have discovered us, and we'll just give a big thank you as well to the Van Halen News Desk that uh, ran a great story on your terrific interview, the last two episodes prior to this, with Frank Meyer. We made some news. We made some news there, and then that got picked up by Ultimate Classic Rock, Matthew over there, who we like a lot. And it's one of those things where you go, well, how do we get this great interview with Frank? One of our listeners said, you should interview Frank. So, uh, hey, if you guys have any ideas for movies that might make a couple hundred million dollars, you know, we're, we're up for it. So, uh, keep them coming. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so a big thank you out to those those folks over at uh, Ultimate Classic Rock and the Van Halen News Desk. Uh, just great folks all around. And, of course, if you go back a couple episodes as well, you'll see uh, one of our uh, two episodes with uh, Eric Senich from the Van Halen News Desk, too. So uh, two websites that we really enjoy a lot, and it was great to see those stories. And I learned a couple other things as well. I think it was, um, uh, you know, some of the stuff that Frank talked about was referenced in various places various points but not in as much detail but we're talked about there was chatter on some of that stuff we won't give it away if you haven't heard it already and you plan on you got those episodes bookmarked and you plan on going back to listen to them but some of that news that frank was talking about that we that got in the news for us was that some of that was out in different places in different formats but frank really got into some detail uh about what he heard and saw yeah. and got involved with so it was super cool man and it was a laugh riot for me just to hear it as a fan so great job yeah. and thank you well yeah and it was also great to get some good stories about the zappa family and sam kennison and oh yeah i guess what it was like growing up in the late 80s in los angeles and the stuff that he did with Dave was starting in the mid-90s and continued into the early 2000s. So it's not like Frank just had one time meeting David Lee Roth and one interaction related to people who played with David Lee Roth. These are stories in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So it's really spread out over time and interesting to hear Diamond Dave's evolution. Exactly. And anyone, who, anyone who's got a story that uh, that has a uh, – a scene where you're almost where you're close to getting where you're close to throwing up in Dave's bathroom because you're so hammered. Well, that's a story I want to hear. And getting arrested or at least taken downtown after a Daily <laughs> Ross show and experiencing Club Dave. Hey, Frank is in rare company and hope uh, we didn't cost him work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so speaking of listeners who reach out to us with a great story, that's how uh, you got this guest. Yes. Yeah, Steve Harold is one of the first people to write to us, maybe the first, and kept in touch because he would send us links along with, hey, great episode. Have you seen this? And Steve knows his stuff. So a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the crazy from the heat script. And I think I out of nowhere said to you, like, have you ever seen the script? What was it about? And we had a couple of different listeners write and go, well, here's the script. Everyone has it. Duh. And you're like, oh, uh, I guess we're the only people who never read it. <laughs> so Steve Harold turned out to have read it to not only purchased it in the 90s and read it then, but he reread it for us and told us about this. But Steve, in his own right, an award winning filmmaker, his Work has been seen in over 75 film festivals worldwide. I like the film that he did. I think about two, three years ago he made it, but it came up on Amazon more recently called The Umbrella Salesman. Funny guy, great filmmaker. Yeah, and great guy to have a conversation with, too. It was a, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And I learned an awful lot about a, about 
when you think of it, a portion of Dave's career that, um, you know, at least the last 30 years has been somewhat, I, I think, somewhat forgotten about, kind of a footnote. I mean, it had a big part of why he left, you know, it was a big part of why he left Van Halen or was pushed, depending on your perspective. And, uh, you know, and and maybe it's <laughs> maybe Dave wants it that way that it is forgotten about. But again, I mean, it's uh, it's a portion that was I think will be new news and get be a lot of cool info for a lot of fans. And relate to what we were talking about at the top with people talking about our stuff. Do you ever check out the Roth Army message board? I'm putting in you on the spot here. I have, yeah, I have. I've, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun most of the time. I haven't been on there in a few weeks, uh, maybe actually more than a month, I don't think. But I mean, I think they were really in that space pretty early, if I remember. And, and, uh, yeah, there's always something interesting up there. There was in a, a little bit of, uh, how do I put it? I'm a little obsessed with this post that went up in 2010 that I just discovered the other day that this guy was talking about. He was at some kind of an, a, a dog related event in his town and he heard a guy speaking and he goes, that's David Lee Roth. Why would he be here? And he approached him and went, Hey, are you Dave? He's like, yeah. And he goes, David Lee Roth. Yeah. I got a photo with him and you see this photo of diamond Dave from 2010 and he has a goatee. So then I have a theory on a theory here. When he doesn't want to be seen, is that facial hair time? Because if you visualize David Lee Roth in your head, you would think of a clean-shaven guy. <laughs> like, In other words, you'd never do a double take at him if he has a goatee and go, is that David Lee Roth? You'd just go like, that's not David Lee Roth. He doesn't have facial hair. Yeah, I, that's the thing, too. I bet you I'm sure that's just one way you can kind of go incognito. That and perhaps an Iron, Iron Man mask. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> But, you know, if you go into the Roth Army forums, someone there posted episode 36 and 37 with Frank Myers. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Roth Army uh, fan forum folks. Yeah, uh, good people doing good things. And if any of them are listening to us and going, how did you guys never do an episode about blank? Why haven't you spoken to this guy? You know, when we were talking about uh, talking with Steve Harold, he mentioned a third screenwriter on this film. So I sent a reach out email to him to get him on the show. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but there might be people hidden in plain sight that have never spoken about Dave publicly. So we will continue on our quest to unearth them all. Yeah, you know what it kind of reminds me of real quick? And this is just a, a kind of a weird analogy how my brain thinks. But remember Us Magazine? Where if I'm sure it's still out there where I think there was that page in the back where it's like they're just like I think it was Us magazine where they they're yeah. just like us. And you would see a picture of Brad Pitt, you know, walk through a parking lot or whatever, holding a backpack or anything like that. And it always kind of reminds me. It's like, yeah, they everybody's got regular normal lives. And it kind of reminds me. I can't remember where this was. And this is something I would never, ever do. But years ago, I remember seeing a picture online on some blog a long time ago. And it was Dave tucking into a sandwich at like a food court or something. And it looked like him, a hat and a jacket. And the person who posted it was like really sure about it. And of course, there was a bunch of uh, comments on there and everything. But it's just, you know, that kind of weird voyeurism. Yeah. You don't like to admit that you're curious or interested in. But I mean, they're just like us, truthfully, except for a for a hundred other reasons why they're not. Yeah. I, well, making this the Darren talks about himself hour here. Uh, yesterday, I taped an interview with Mark Cantor. He grew up with Slash from Guns N' Roses and Cantor's Deli in L.A., the the famous great deli restaurant that's still there all those all these years later. I was speaking to him about his new podcast, which is about the early days of GNR, and I was getting ready to grill him about all these David Lee Roth things. And then I, I read the vibes and went, "Okay, I'll stop after these two questions there." But there was an old story about Diamond Dave giving the career advice breakdown. I'm like, this is what you do with your career thing to Vince Neil in the early days of Motley Crue. They did it at Cantor's Deli. And so I said, so is it true about blank, blank, blank? He goes, oh, yeah, I've seen Dave like a hundred times at Cantor's Deli, usually eating alone. So like, oh, okay. He's he's one of those guys that can dine alone. Uh, I think Fred Stoller used to have a blog about dining alone and the best places to dine alone at. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, you got to eat, right? This week's interview is awesome with Steve Harold, 
And once again, we want to say thank you for downloading and streaming and digging the DLR cast. Yeah, nothing but yeah, as DLR would say, and nothing but Steve, as I would say, maybe. <laughs> well, whatever it is. No, thank you for listening. Steve Harold, you are a delight to speak with. And if you've got ideas about things that we should be doing or talking about or things we're totally wrong about, such as Steve Harold calling out Steve Roth about no big ting. <laughs> shadowing right here please give it to us and thank you for listening yeah shoot us reach out to us at, uh hit us on twitter or the hit us on twitter and uh or email us directly at um and actually on twitter it's it's uh, at dlrcast and then hit us directly at the dlrcast at outlook.com thank you it is an honor and a pleasure to be connecting with mr steve Harold, who is maybe the first person to ever write us an email giving us kudos for this podcast. So <laughs> I think he's won the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory equivalent of being a guest on this podcast. But in all seriousness, Steve has given us a lot of intel, which I've used for some of the interviews that we've done. So, Steve, thank you for being on the show. Great to have you. Thanks. Great to be here. You forgot to mention that I was the first and only person who's ever written to you guys. <laughs> not, not the only, but we can maybe say the most frequent. So, yeah. yeah. But you are, as we talked about in the intro, a filmmaker. What's the latest project that you are promoting or show or production? Or are we separating that from the DLR fandom? We can kind of separate. I mean, I, I work in TV. I freelance in TV mostly. Um, I just got back from, uh, I had a run of gigs. Um, I'm like on a crew, nothing, nothing to, you know, brag about. It's just, uh, you know, freelance TV work. I just got back from a couple of months in Louisiana, Cape Cod, Pennsylvania. I, I travel a lot, um, for the gigs that I'm on. I'm actually in August heading up to Canada to work on a survival show and, uh, we'll be up there for a little while, but uh, myself, I, I, I'm an indie filmmaker myself. I'm just started shooting a, a new short film, um, something, you know, to try to kind of deal. We started working on it with the pandemic, trying to, you know, figure out a way to make an independent film, you know, under those sort of stipulations. So that's mainly what I'm working on now. Um, yeah. Does that indie film involve Yakuza? And a Japanese-speaking David Lee Roth. Of course it does. I, I didn't even think I needed to mention that. <laughs> well, as a film guy, Steve and I have referenced Crazy from the Heat, the ill-fated screenplay written by Mr. Roth in the early 80s that was slated to be made in 1985 or so. But we thought about it, and we never read it. So I said, wait, who might have read this? And the answer is you you have read the screenplay i think you said that you read it for the first time in the early 2000s no i bought this in a shop in hollywood in 1990 um you know as you know i write and when you're starting out trying to learn screenwriting a lot of times what you do is you read screenplays um so i'd go to the shops in hollywood and you could buy copies of the screenplays so i was in there and you know just looking over what they had and this is 1990 and you know, I was shocked to see a title in their list say Crazy from the Heat. And I remember asking the guy, like, is that the David Lee Roth script, you know? And the guy's like, well, let's take a look, you know? And he pulled it off the shelf, and sure enough, it was. And so, I obviously, I bought it, and I read it in 1990. And 1990, Steve, number two, probably thought <laughs> it was hysterical. Um, <laughs> but I hadn't read it since. So, you know, when we discuss this, I, I read it for the first time since 1990 and it wasn't as bad as, I mean, we're going to get into it, but it wasn't as bad <laughs> as I, as I expected it to be like, I, our, our, our good friend, Greg Renoff, I remember passing him a copy of this off to him and saying like, yeah, Dave, Dave really dodged a bullet when this movie didn't get made, you know, but <laughs> we'll talk about that. But it, it it wasn't as it's bad, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it uh, as I remembered it. So, so. Uh, OK, so I've read bits and pieces of it. I can't I, I've seen bits and pieces of it online. I can't remember um, 
whose book or which book. I know there was maybe some pages in it, but as a filmmaker and as a guy who knows film, I mean, what would you have called, I guess, the genre of this movie? Would this be like kind of a uh, Bob Hope-like romp from back in the day, a travelogue sort of thing? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've never seen any of those Bob Hope, Bing Crosby road movies. That's you what know, it looks like, a road movie. Yeah, the closest probably I could say I've gotten to seeing one of those is I know the uh, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd movie, Spies Like Us, is often compared to those movies. Um, but what I know of those movies, it definitely sounds like this is probably that. It's just, it's very episodic. It's really just a a vehicle for gags and jokes. Um, it's very Borscht Belty, very Catskills, very <laughs> shticky, you know. Um, you know, there's no real there's really no plot i mean we can dive into this you know i don't know what if you guys want to just get right into it i mean there's there's really no plot and it's funny because if you really if you read it um and dave's character i mean he's you know obviously he's supposed to be the main character but Mm -hmm. there's really like there's really no journey there's no quest they're on there's no real goal you know, like I remember, I don't know if it was back in the day or if it was a later interview. I remember somebody asking Dave about this movie after it was obvious it wasn't going to happen. And they asked him if it was going to be like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And I remember his response was, you know, it's not going to be like Pee Wee's Big Anything. And, you know, it's funny because it, it is somewhat like that in that Pee Wee's Big Adventure is very episodic. Mm-hmm. But there's a goal, you know, he's trying to get his bicycle back. This movie, there's no really, there's no goal, you know, they're just kind of wandering through the scenery, kind of, you know what I mean? Sounds yeah. like uh, maybe 200 motels. Yeah. We're 200 motels. You're kind of grabbed into it because you're like, I, I like Zappa. Oh, Ringo Starr. Oh, Keith Moon. I'm really going to watch this. And you go, did anything happen in this whole film? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's quite a bit like this. But instead of Ringo Starr and stuff, you get... Is that the guy from the California Girls video? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Steve, so I vaguely remember way back that there were some rumors pre-internet that, that some of this was filmed. We know nothing was filmed, correct? I mean, this was... He had a. Did he have an actual deal with, if I remember correctly, yeah. CBS Pictures? Then CBS, CBS Pictures went belly up. Yeah, it was CBS Films. They made a couple of movies in like the mid '80s, and that's who he had the deal with. They made. They did that whole big, um, you know, open casting call for for, you know, uh, people. You know, I think Dave's line at the time was like, "We're looking for interesting faces, interesting bodies, interesting whatever." Um, and I don't know if that, that might've just been like a publicity thing. I don't know if that, if that was really an, a, a legit open casting call. Um, but they did that. I mean, I, and from what I understand, maybe it's in his book, but I, from what I understand, I mean, they were very close to starting production when CBS films pulled the plug, you know, and which resulted in a lawsuit, which whatever the result of that was, but, uh, but I think they were very, very close. But yeah, I don't believe anything was shot. But I think that when CBS pulled the plug, it was like, you know, within a matter of like, you know, they were getting ready to start in a week or two weeks or something like that. My question, see, Steve's questions are more, uh, Steve one, we'll call him. His questions are generally more thought out and well-researched. And my questions are, for better or for worse, shoot from the hip. So my question here is, I was one of the lucky media people in 2000 or 2001, whatever it was, that got one of those, actually two copies of the VHS tape of No Holds Barbecue, uh-huh. which you can now find on YouTube. Do people know by another name, uh, No Holds Barbecue, or is it just the, yeah. the video from the Mojo Dojo, whatever you yeah. want to call it? It's basically him and other people where nothing really happens. He's just kind of the center of action, and he breaks into song a bunch of times. Is there any chance that any of the crazy from the heat script wound up in that no holds barbecue concept or video? I don't I don't think so. I've I've never sat and watched that tape. I don't know that I could anymore. In 1988 <laughs> I could have, but <laughs> you know, um 
but I don't think so. But I, I do think that probably the spirit of the no holds barbecued is very similar to the spirit of the crazy from the heat script. Um, probably, a, I mean, the crazy from the heat script as, as much as it has no plot or anything, it's probably a bit more focused than that. And that may be due to Pete Angels's involvement. And also they wrote, um, that script with a, a writer named Jerry Perzinji, I believe is his name. He's a sitcom writer. Jefferson's married with children, Frasier, Golden Girls. He probably was brought in by those two guys to kind of help them write the script as far as like doing the actual writing. You know, they I would imagine they would sit in a room, the three of them, and hash stuff out and talk about stuff. And Jerry would probably be the guy who went home and typed it all up. And that might be why the script has as much of it has no plot. It's probably a bit more focused than you leave Dave to his own. You're going to get no hold barbecue. You bring in Jerry and Pete, you get crazy from the heat. You know what I it's, mean? Well, it's funny, Darren, you mentioned that no old barbecue. Cause what I wondered was, I wondered if, um, if crazy from the heat, some of the characters from, uh, from the Yankee Rose video was a logical extension from crazy from the heat. Like maybe there could have been a guy with a hairnet in a convenience store. Maybe there could be a very large woman who trips on a heel and said, my doctor said I need to take a laxative. You know, that's what, so when I, I knowing that crazy from the heat was coming, I'm like, well, this is a body and wacky bunch of characters. And then when you see uh, the video for um, going crazy, where uh, Dave and Pete Angelis are dressed up as, you know, two crazy ass moguls doing what was essentially reminded me they were kind of ahead of their time from the jerky boys. When you think of it, yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, um, well, the character that Pete played his, his uh, Picasso brother uh, appears in the crazy from the heat script. Oh, Dave, ah, there we Dave's, go. Dave's doesn't, I don't think they had had that idea yet because the going crazy video came later. Yeah. Uh, same year, but later, but, um, but Pete Angelus is, Picasso brother character appears very briefly in the script. And I, I think that when you're reading crazy from the heat, uh, the movie script, there's, um, there are like you, you obviously it was an extension of those videos, California girls, gigolo to a degree, hot for teacher. Um, and then, you know, the beginning of Yankee Rose and the, you know, parts of going crazy. It's all that. I mean, that's what crazy from the heat would have essentially looked like on a tropical island. Um, but there are characters in the script where you quit, like where, when I was reading it this time, I don't think, I don't know if I read it the first time I read it, if I had these thoughts, but you're, there's a character named Jose who owns this crappy hotel on this island. They stay at called the Dongo Inn. Um, he, he, when you, when you read his description in the script, it sounds like it could have been the cashier guy at the beginning of the Yankee Rose video. Uh -huh. Like when I'm reading that, I'm like, that sounds like it was that dude. Then Dave's road manager is a character named Julius and he has a wife named Darla. Um, and I, first I thought like in the California girls video, there's a couple, a guy who kind of looks a little pimpish with a woman trying to put on this lipstick and. When I was reading Crazy from Heat this time, I was like, I wonder if that is what those characters would have looked like. Um, but then there's this character that shows up later in the movie who is a pimp. His name's Lamar. He shows up for <laughs> one brief moment for an exchange between him and Dave's assistant in the script uh, named Stu, who's kind of like a put upon kind of probably a nerdish kind of dude. Um, and his description, I was like, well, that sort of sounds like the guy from the so i think they're like it, it definitely was going to be of that world i mean you know i'm not really into all those superhero movies but if you're going to call it this david lee roth universe um it it would have felt like you know you would have had this character from the california girls video or gigolo video it, it's it's all sounds like it all kind of would have taken place in that same kind of vibe or universe or what have you so to but, be, go ahead i was gonna say to be clear it's not it's not a musical correct there there are a couple of musical there's there's parts in the script where it specifically uh states like you know shy boy is playing here um then there's other parts where i guess some of that music hadn't been created yet so shy boy because that existed already was the only one that they really could point out like this is going to be shy boy the other times it mentions in the script like um you know an original piece of music by dave is going to be here 
The only other one that they mention specifically is That's Life. Um, he sings that. Uh, he So it, it kind of is a musical where Dave's music's playing, but there are, I guess, I guess two or three instances where Dave is actually singing, performing. There's where he sings That's Life near the end. And it's funny because in the script, it mentions that he plays like a fast paced, like uh, a fast paced rock version of That's Life. And that's really the version that's on that uh, Eat Him and Smile isn't I wouldn't really call it a fast paced rock no. version of no. that at all. So I wonder if that was just a, a, a thought even before that existed. But um, he there he does have the, you know, the uh, the moment where he and Pete are sitting on the beach and sharing a joint and drinking and they're uh, they start hallucinating and out of the water comes Dave as King Neptune and <laughs> performs a uh, they don't really it's it's very brief mentioned in the script. It's just like Dave comes out and there's you know, uh, he's as King Neptune and he does a performance. And then afterwards, there's just like a wrap up bit to the like, you know, this is great weed or something stupid like that. But uh, I think if that, you know, if this movie had been made, I think that scene and spe specifically would have given people like your Sammy Hagar's and such uh, great fodder for oh, God, ribbing, yeah. uh, ribbing Dave. You know, I don't think he would have heard the end of that. Not that he would have given a crap. but the, You mentioned the music and that's where this gets really gets interesting for me. And that is the timeline. So Van Halen toured basically all of 19, the year 1984, right? But practically, I mean, the album came out early what chat new year's day or something like that and they were on the road so by 85 somewhere around 85 and i can't remember exactly they break up i think the announcement was april fool's day actually if yeah, i remember I think correctly that's, uh, that's kind of like the i don't think it really happened that i think there was something pretty recently where there was an article maybe greg wrote it but it it that's what everybody thinks right was but it really wasn't it was a bit later you know right so summer, but yeah yeah so what i'm what i'm the the mystery is, I guess, and just a mystery to me at least, is the timeline of this. So he's out of Van Halen around eighty-five. And so within bare with geez, let's say mid eighty-five, within the span of like six months, he writes a screenplay, inks a deal, it starts on music, well, early eighty-six. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm like, I wonder if well, when when this started to germinate. Well, at, I thought I remember that originally. I think that I think when he when he was making the crazy from the heat album or EP, right. I think he must he and Pete must have been kind of brewing this idea, because if I remember correctly, he wanted he wanted to make a Van Halen movie. He wanted to make a sure. kind of like a crazy comedy um, with starring those four guys. And in all honesty, I mean, I would have loved to seen it. Those four guys are pretty funny dudes you know i mean yeah. alex alex is hysterical eddie can be very funny michael you know he's uh he's pretty good too as well you know I mean, you see some of that footage of uh that was shot that was never used for like the jump video that they used a little bit of it for the panama video it's on youtube just like that silent footage of them just doing like shenanigans backstage you know and uh i mean it's it's funny you know and i i would have loved to see that but i i think that they he was brewing that idea of those guys making a, a movie and that may have been the germ of crazy from the heat i mean it might not have been worked out at all or anything like that and then i guess when he split with those guys i guess they decided uh you know that he decided like let's let's do this you know let's dive in and make this because the script that i have that i bought mm -hmm. the date it's the revised shooting script and it's dated january 6 1986 wow so you know i mean and like I said, you know, I mean, I don't know what months he was working on the Eat em and Smile album when he was recording that. But um, but, you know, I mean, I, I would imagine I mean, obviously, he needed a soundtrack. So they must have been working on some of that music at that point. But um, like I said, in the script, the only things that are mentioned by name are Shy Boy and That's Life. So I don't which, know, you know, which I have to cut in here. Shy Boy was written by Billy Sheehan. Right. Correct? Yeah. Right. And that, that his old band, didn't Talis, isn't that an old Talis song or something? Yep. That yes. Just rearranged or something. And Billy Sheen is not on the, the debut EP before eat him and smile. Right. So how is that song in the movie yet? He wasn't in Dave's 
band at the time. Well, he must have been involved because Crazy from the Heat, the album came out in January 1985. So like that was a year before all this, you know, so like I would imagine he probably hooked up with Bill. If, if I remember correctly, I wasn't wasn't Billy Sheehan the first one in the band Dave, yeah. that they've hired. So my gut tells me that sometime over the summer of 1985, Dave and Billy kind of like Dave and Pete and Jerry were starting to work on this script. And Dave was like, all right, I'm at Van Halen's not a, an option now. So I need a band. And that he must, must have met up with Billy Sheen sometime that summer to kind of start piecing it together. So yeah. I think if Billy Sheen was involved that much earlier, then that's probably why shy boy is there it mentioned in the script and he knew he was going to do that on his record or whatever for the soundtrack well that was some early movement for billy sheen getting acclimated into the dlr world if there's that script and that song is in the script before we even know about eat em and smile yeah yeah uh, that's that. what i mean i don't know like in january 1986 they must have been working on some music and stuff i mean that band must have been because i mean to have if the script's January 6th and they're still thinking they're making this movie and they need a soundtrack and they need these guys to make music yeah. and Eat 'em and Smile comes out in July. I mean, you yeah. know, it obviously must have been kind of ruined at that point too, you know. Yeah, I mean, imagine I'm if I if I recall, it was the album essentially was recorded pretty quick. I mean, it's you know, it's 10 Temple minutes recorded live. The band is dead on tight. They were, you know, they were together for I think, you know, at least a month beforehand. So, I mean, it's conceivable. It's just when you think of it, it, you know, for if you looked at it from the outside, Van Halen's doing nothing for most of the year. Uh, for most of the year, you, there's no noise or no news. And the crazy from the heat EP comes out and oh well, you know, that's it. Right. I mean, and Van Halen's inactive and there's no announcement that he leaves. So it's like, but behind the scenes, this guy's the busiest guy in freaking rock yeah. and roll pivoting on a dime. Well, all right, the movie's gone. Let's do an album. Yeah. And, well, I mean, and, I, and a tour. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think it, but I mean, I think at that time it was probably, it was probably like the peak for him as far as like, you know, just uh, being kind of like, uh, you know, career minded or whatever, you know, because I mean, after coming off in 1984 and, you know, like he, he just really became, I mean, they, Van Halen were big before 1984, but 1984 really, I think a lot of because of MTV and the videos and stuff, it really kind of put, especially Dave's persona. Like, I mean, yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't turn your head without seeing him somewhere right. it, talking and everything. So, I mean, it got him out of the realm of just a rock singer yeah. to, to, I mean, just between the jump video and everything to a global superstar, him and the band, but especially him because he yeah. was the front man and doing 90% of the press. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I think that, you know, and, and, you know, and obviously, you know, he was younger. He's, I don't know what was he in like his early thirties, maybe. So, you know, it's like, you know, it, it was just, all right, you know, Van Halen, that's not going to happen. We've got this idea to make this film let's start working on the film you know and, and when you, certainly when you're younger i mean you can kind of you know it's it's it, those ideas come to you a lot you know quicker and you just kind of you have more of them you know so i mean you know especially somebody like him with add you know i mean it's just you know i, I can imagine it, it it seems to us looking back at it like wow that came together really quick but at the time it probably didn't seem it just probably seemed like business as usual for for that dude you know as he told me in that 2004 interview, he hasn't slept since the 80s. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, what we've talked about here actually brings me to wonder something here. So the last the last Van Halen video with Dave in the 84 era was Hot for the Teacher, correct? Right. And then the, the next two videos off the Crazy from the Heat EP, he, ha he also had the spoken intros. And then the next two videos, Going Crazy and Yankee Rose, he had the spoken intros. And then we don't get any of those off the Skyscraper music videos, correct? Yeah, it's it's weird because, I mean, even with the Crazy from or uh, the Eat em and Smile videos, it's like he did that, like, comedic stuff. But but they were, you know, Yankee Rose was really more about performance. Like, I want to show yeah. this band off, you know, I want to show I want to try to show up Van Halen. I want to show these guys off. And even and crazy and uh, going crazy was was the same way. Like he had the little comedy stuff that he and Pete brewed up 
kind of interspersed. You know, they did a little intro, but then it was interspersed yeah. a little bit here and there. But it was still a performance video, you know. Um, and yeah, and then Skyscraper, he just kind of ditched all that. I don't know when he and Pete, I mean, I think he and Pete kind of uh, parted ways maybe in 92 or 93, maybe. Because I remember buying the crate. I was, when I was, you know, I collect, uh, Darren, you know, I collect Van Halen and Dave <laughs> stuff. And, um, and, I remember in the early 90s, the one of the things that I was um, really hunt, trying to hunt down was a CD copy of, of Crazy from the Heat. Um, it wasn't released in the United States, um, but it, I was at a record show and it turned out the one guy I was talking to there, you guys might enjoy this. I'm not a Kiss fan, but I used to collect this Van Halen stuff. I'd go to Kiss conventions. You remember these kiss conventions? Oh yeah. And I would go to them because I knew the vendors would have Van Halen stuff and Dave stuff. And, uh, what I, and I used to drag my girlfriend to it. She used to probably hate it, but, uh, you know, somebody had to hold the records now, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but I would go to them and, uh, it was great because they would have always have like a guest from involved with kiss somehow. Yeah. Whenever that person was going to be in this room talking, everybody would flock to it and I'd have the whole place to myself and I'd go digging through the records. Um, but this guy that at there, um, you know, he told me he could that crazy from the heat. It was released in Japan. There's a CD in Japan and he could get it for me and I got it. And then lo and behold, like a year later, Warner Brothers releases it in America. So I was like, I spent like twenty five dollars getting the CD from Japan and a year later, I can get it, you know, for 1098 or whatever in the United States. But my my point is, is that on the Crazy For Me CD, you know, with the logos at the bottom, Warner Brothers and all that stuff, it said Angelus Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was still with Pete around 92 or whatever that was. But I, that must have been right around when those guys parted ways. Um, but, I, you know, so I think that's must. I, I don't know why you don't get. You know, I mean, I guess he tried to do it. I don't know if Pete and Angels was involved with the Little Ain't Enough video, because that's probably the closest video wise he came to like those early videos, like that same kind of vibe or whatever, you know? Right. But go ahead. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is there you wonder if the fact that he didn't get to make that movie if these Edom and Smile music videos was the creative release for that, where he goes, oh, well, I didn't get to do a film. Let's make a bunch of mini films. And that was the direction. But then the skyscraper videos are a little more serious. Yeah. He's smiling and joking around per se, but it was, uh, it was heartthrob. Dave was in effect for the title track and, and just like paradise. Yeah. He ditched the comedy. Um, yeah, I don't know what like what what that if that if maybe if that I mean, you know, I, I that's the thing is like I don't know that guy things like this really bother him or influence his uh decisions because, you know, the the Just a Gigolo video is great. I I'm not a fan of the song, never have been, but it's a great video. But that video more so than California Girls or anything else has kind of, you know, that's that's the Dave persona like that, that persona has essentially followed him for the rest of his career. When people think of Dave, they always think of the Bozy Bozy, you know what I mean? And, and so I don't know if maybe, and again, I don't know that this guy really thinks this way, but um, you know, I wonder if part of it was like, you know, people think I'm a buffoon, you know, let me, you know, let me, let me try to remind them that I was a rock star, you know what I mean? And so let's concentrate on performance and stuff like that. I don't know, but it is odd that he kind of ditched, you know, that whole comedy kind of, you know, cause they were funny, you know, those two guys came up with some funny little videos, you know? You know I, the, so, sorry, Steve, it's back to the Steve one show after this. <laughs> no, no, no. The, another possibility is MTV going Hey, by the way, no more music videos over three minutes, 45 seconds. And then that was just kind of the barrier. And yeah. that. so back to you, Steve, one. Now, I was going to say, uh, Steve, you you got me thinking of something, you, something you said. And that is what you <laughs> I, it, this would have made perfect sense had it been maybe 30 years before, because Dave it, it, had he was born in another era, he would have been 
in the Catskills, a Borscht Belt guy doing these kind of movies. I mean, you know, when I look at that Just a Gigolo video and like, you know, that, you know, Mosey Bop, that whole thing. I mean, and we know his passion for vaudeville and all that stuff. I mean, you know, he was 30. (laughs) He could have been it could have been a much different story. I could you know, now what we know about the movie, he was either ahead of his time or a man out of his time during that time. You know what I mean? It's it's interesting because like when you read the script, the 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 instantly um I can't help but like read the script and wonder like had this movie been made, like I don't think it would have been very successful. I don't think it would have been a, a big hit at the box office. I think you would have had his fans probably would have shown up. I think on video people probably, you know, at parties getting drunk or high might have popped it in for some laughs. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't think it would have been very successful, you know, uh, but it, it, but I can't help but like wonder, like, you know, how would this thing have aged? There's a couple of jokes in it that <laughs> certainly are off, you know, way off limits now involving young girls. Um, and uh, but, you know, like I, I, I can't help but wonder, like, how would this thing have aged? I mean, I I don't doubt for a minute, you know, that it would have been highlighted probably very early on on that podcast how did this get made you know i'm sure this <laughs> this would have been uh, uh one of their like when those guys sat down to discuss like what films should we discuss i don't doubt for a minute this would have been at the top of all their lists but um but yeah it, it's just a, it's just an odd film you know and and it's funny too because early on reading it like the first like portion of it when i was reading it this time i was like well you know he would be he'd be going for an r rating Mm-hmm. But early on, it feels somewhat tame. You're like, this almost feels like PG-13. Nobody's cursing. There's no nudity. And then it sort of kind of veers off, and you're like, all right, here we go. This is an R reading. <laughs> you know I mean? Knowing what we know now, I think it might be safe to say, in hindsight, it's always 2020, but Dave, Dave career-wise dodged a real bullet by not having this movie come out, when you think of it. I mean, it could have... I, I, I rem- distinctly remember, because, I mean, I wasn't 12 years old then. I was... You know, 18, 19 years old, I remember distinctly thinking, God, this does not seem cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. of course, and that was colored by the fact of, you know, just the sheer shock and horror of, no, he left Van Halen, you know, to oh, do yeah. what? But I mean, in the big picture, when you think of it, this could have been fodder for ridicule for a long, long time. It definitely, yeah, it definitely would. I, it's, it's, that's what I mean. It's hard to say in that time in 1986 this comes out like i said i don't think it would have been a big hit but you know i i mean like i said i think i said at the beginning like 1986 me probably would have thought this was hysterical and probably would have thought it was one of the funniest movies that i'd seen you know um now i don't i'd probably watch it and just be like oh my goodness you know like what is it <laughs> but you know it, it's it's a bizarre it's a bizarre Thing. And like I said, it, you know, it's just like bits. There's nothing. There's no journey he's on. It's like they at the end. It it feels like the character Jose, who I, I mentioned, sounded like it could have been the guy from the Yankee Rose video, the cashier. Like he owns the hotel, and he, you know, when they're all parting, you know, he's like to Dave, he's like, you know, thanks, you know, like my my hotel now is booked till the end of the century. You know, that's all because of the concert you did and everything, and um. And but it's weird because it, it makes you feel like, oh, w- was this movie about him trying to save this rundown hotel in the tropics? But it's not. It just like comes out of nowhere. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't even know the, the place was in, you know, bad, you know, like uh, in danger of closing or something. It's just this random thing. It's it's it, you know, there's a lot of the 80s in that there are movies from the 80s that are, you know, the same kind of thing where it's just this, you know, uh random bits all these characters running around and stuff and there's really no plot you know and at the end of the movie everybody parts the islands like thanks you saved us man you know what i mean (laughs) okay so i'm gonna take away my 200 motels comparison and go this just sounds like uhf yeah yeah a little bit but even uhf they were trying to save this station you know what i mean like this there's nothing like that the closest thing to it is dave's manager named bernie um owes these two like thug guys mop mob kind of guys money and he's broke the dave's manager and the only thing that he has that he can think is worth something is that he's dave's manager um 
and he basically like um, sells Dave's managerial position off to these guys. It's like he he's like, you guys are his manager now. Like he's worth millions. You guys are his manager now. And then they go to the island and see Dave and they're insulted by him. And then that kind of just is wrapped up in like one second, you know? So like the closest thing to like some kind of plot is it doesn't, it's not even Dave really. It's his Dave's manager, you know? But like I said, even that kind of comes in the end. And then Dave kind of gets his revenge on the manager. But that's, it's such a like, you know, a, a side kind of story, you know, it really is not driving the movie. So, and I mean, it sounds ridiculous to be kind of like looking for, you know, like what, you know, what's Dave's character motivations and stuff in a David Lee Roth comedy circa 1986, you know, but, but it really, it really is like, no, like, you know, like I, like you brought up UHF, like even that you could say like, oh, it's just all these bits and stuff. But at the heart of it, he's trying to save this TV station. And this, like, it's like nothing. <laughs> it's just like nothing going on. It's just Dave kind of going by. Like, even when they, like, they're trying to get to this this resort that they were supposed to be going to, the Club Tropico, and <laughs> they don't make it there. They get hung up. They get, uh, you know, um, surrounded by cannibals. And obviously, when I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they would have looked like the cover of Eat yeah. and Smile. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, they get, you know, they get kind of sidetracked with these cannibals. And of course the chief knows Dave and blah, blah, blah happens. And, um, you know, there's no like real, like we got to get to that resort. We got to get that resort. They're just like, all right. Then they show up at this other, you know, uh, hotel, the Dongo Inn or whatever. And Dave's like, this is my place. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, it's not like we got to get to the truck. We're still not at club Tropico. No, it's just like, wherever he is that's where he wants to be you know it's like there's so there's no like journey there's no conflict or anything you know it's just like hey these are my people i want to stay here it's like it's a rundown hotel ah this is perfect you know and it's it's just a, a, an odd movie but i mean knowing you know his persona or whatever i mean it completely fits it you know I get the vibe that he would have played six characters in this movie you mentioned him coming out of the water after smoking a jay you mentioned the the tribal people coming out of the forest, and we know what the album cover of Edmund Smile was. We know that he would have had a fake mustache in a scene. He would have been the bartender with an accent. That's my one regret of this not being made, seeing yeah. the characters. There's, there's nothing in the script that specifically makes you think that, like the Pete Angelus Picasso part. Because, like, right after Pete Angelus Picasso brother shows up, then, like, Dave turns to Pete. So it was obvious. It was like, oh, there's Pete playing this guy. And now he's playing himself, you know. Um, but there, but but I don't I don't doubt that you're absolutely correct. I, I mean, knowing that we've seen Dave in some of those videos play these other characters, you know, I don't doubt that he probably would have, you know, been all about, like, doing something. And the script, at, at, at the same time, the script does, he does take, you know, uh, a couple of shots at himself. You know, one character mentions i think his manager mentions that dave can't sing you know um he, the one his his road manager has kind of a funny line where you know dave's like oh can you get me uh it's like out of the blues brothers he's like i want he wants to make an announcement he's going to perform at the dongo inn so can you get me on the local radio station i just need five minutes and the guy's like i've never heard you say anything in five minutes you know what i mean like you know uh, you know, there's, there's some kind of funny little bits and he kind of takes a couple of little digs at himself, you know, here and there, but, uh, but yeah, I don't doubt he probably would have played a couple of different characters. I would imagine. It sounds like this needs one of those upright citizens brigade, uh, script reading things where you have, there's Donald Glover as David Lee Roth. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that would be awesome. Well, I thought that's what we were going to do today, man. <laughs> That'll be another Our episode. He was going to play Bernie and you were going to play Mario, the owner of the whiskey and the rainbow. He shows up for one little scene, you know, and uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's quite a little, um, it's quite a little, uh, you know, script there. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it, like I said before, I, I, in recent times, I would always tell people like, oh, he dodged a bullet. This this is horrible because I hadn't read it since 1990. When I read it now, I mean, there's some funny bits in there. You know, I mean, there there are a couple uh, as as kind of sticky as they they are. There's some funny stuff. The one thing when I was reading it, though, it, it did feel like and I don't know if I don't know if this would have been true in 1986, but um, 
but a lot of it felt very familiar. Like a lot of the jokes and the setups, it's like you can see where they're going a mile away, you know, like, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, okay, I know where this joke's going and stuff. There's a lot, a lot of that where you can just like see that stuff coming a mile away. And again, like I said, I don't know if that's just because the years have passed. We've seen other versions of those jokes and stuff like that, or they're just very familiar. But, uh, but yes, it's, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre so, thing. So in other words, two years after it flopped in the theaters, when you see it on regular TV and the, the TV guide description, if anybody remembers TV guide, which I know we do, the, the description would have been in this broad comic romp, former <laughs> Van Halen singer, David Lee Roth, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> or, or either that, or it would have just been like to each their own, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. Like, you know, you, you know, go into this, you like, you know, go into this with this warning. You know right. what I mean? And yeah, no, it, it definitely would have. I, I mean, there's I mean, obviously, like we said before, I mean, the Van Halen guys would have just shredded this thing. Oh. man. I mean, you know, they kind of did without the movie even happening. I mean, they their you know, go to like soundbite was always like they wanted to be a movie star. They wanted to be a movie star, right. you know, and, right. you know, and and it's odd because when they you guys might have talked about this on an episode, but it's funny that. You know, it's it's funny to me that he's never really nobody's ever really cast him in anything like he showed up on that Sopranos episode yeah. and stuff. But it's it's surprising to me that nobody's ever like, you know, cast him just to like appear and, and just like some little one scene. Like we want you to play a used car salesman in this movie, you know, just pop up. It's 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 odd to me that he's never done any of that stuff, you know, and especially because. Not that I believed it, but because those guys just hammered that idea home, like Dave wanted to be a movie star, Dave wanted to be a movie star, you know, and he's never he's never done anything really, you I, know. I would I would not be surprised. I would bet that maybe he got some offers in during that heady like eighty four to eighty six time period, but for whatever reason, maybe they just it was bad or you know the fact that he turned down being in front of a camera if that's the case but i i've often wondered that same uh, same as you have steve i often wonder that it's like because the time period just seems so natural somebody yeah. commented on our last episode on youtube and said that dave auditioned for the father role and walked the line which i don't know if they were joking or they knew someone who knew something there yeah you mean walk wow. the line or do you mean walk hard I or walk hard. I love walk hard. Walk the line. The really the Johnny Cash movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, You know, and not not for nothing. I mean, you know, I don't doubt that the guy has got that in him to give a good dramatic performance. You know, I mean, we think of him as like a goof and what have you and joking around a lot. But but uh, you know, I I think the guy probably could if if he you know he he probably could give a really good uh, dramatic performance if given the opportunity. I, I wouldn't doubt that. You know, um, you know, uh, kind of calling back to something you mentioned earlier, there is a moment in this script where Dave gets to do like a whole kung fu scene where he's beating up uh, these two guys. I think it's the two thugs that his manager pawned off his. Um, you know, his uh, manager uh, contract off on or something. But there's a whole thing which obviously would have been some sort of like kind of Bruce Lee parody or what have you. Uh, but, you know, he gets to do his kung fu or whatever. Which which is a predecessor to his Yakuza movie from exactly. Japan, which started off this whole conversation yeah, right there. Exactly. So I, I resent the fact that you guys don't consider that acting because <laughs> he, he shouts in Japanese at some thugs were, yeah. yeah. That's that's some serious stuff. Yeah. Nah. And this smoldering performance, former Dan Halen singer David Lee Roth. Da, da, da. Yeah. Any be idea? glad it's only be glad it's only ten minutes long. You know. <laughs> Did, has anyone ever heard? Was that supposed to be part of like a feature length? For example, that was supposed to be a sizzle reel EPK kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it, it, he's hard to figure out because I mean, you guys, I'm sure, have talked about this multiple times. It's just. He, I mean, we know he's got that, you know, ADD and he's just kind of like got his hands doing a million things at once. I mean, I, I heard just recently you guys were talking a little bit about that uh, tattoo ink com- uh, company, the tattoo yeah. stuff, whatever, and, you know, how he doesn't even mention it anymore. It just seems to me like it's one of those things. It's just like his, uh, you know, attention span is so short that it's like he's all into it for a month or so and then he's forgotten all about it. And I don't doubt that that. Uh, Yakuza thing or whatever video. It was just something that he did over there, and 
It was just like, you know, here's something to do while he was there. He shot it and then that was it. Or he shopped it around. Nobody was interested. And he's just like, all right, next, move on, you know, and you move on to something else, you know, or I don't know. But it just seems that he's that way. It's just like he's all into something for a minute or two and then he's just moves on to something else. You know, it's not, you know. How else can a world famous rock star become an EMT? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. You know, you, you just go all in yeah, you know. and on to the next thing. If I put you guys on mute for two minutes, I'll come back with the information as to whether or not Inc. The Original is still in business with the state of California. <laughs> if you can vamp for about two minutes, stand by. Well, I'll tell you, it's, here's what I was thinking. There's a there's a way to resurrect this, and that is an animated series. It makes so, perfect sense. Dave doing all the animation and, uh, you know, the cart, the, all the ink work on it. Yeah, yeah. No, that'd be, <laughs> that would be... Uh... I thought you were going to say like an animated thing, like Dave, like a cartoon Dave, like running around like the old like Jackson Five cartoon or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, Lord knows what that would be. But uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. He, he, it's it's just bizarre. I mean, I think a lot of it maybe is just that attention span. He just, you know, I mean, uh, he just doesn't seem like he could really, you know, uh, stay interested in something like that too long you know like to do something like that like if it's especially if it's something you got to kind of like work to kind of put together if he does like this yakuza thing and it's like oh people are interested in making it then i think he could be like all in but you know if people just aren't biting and he he just it's not like he's like well i'm gonna work you know like us indie filmmakers it's like hey we're gonna struggle it's gonna take us years to get this made whatever i don't think he operates that way it's like if he puts it out there if people aren't interested then he's just on to the next thing you know yeah, we've speculated that a lot. It's tough to it's tough to keep track, and then stuff will just kind of, you know, mercifully the music for the most part never really disappeared. I mean, that's always was number one because, you know, there was times where, well, like we're all talking about, it's like, oh, is he going to quit music and do movies? You know, and then well, it's, it's a perfect <laughs> a perfect example is like all those he's got all these songs. Like he just would go into like Henson Studios and just record songs just on his own dime just yep. for the hell of it you know and some of those came out on that diamond dave record but we know that there's troves of other tunes like that that you know it's just i don't you know he's just doing it because i guess he feels like doing it you know it's yeah. not really about like a project necessarily or whatever and you know because i remember reading about the ice cream the big band version of ice cream man he did in his book and then yeah then finally it came out. I think it's on that Diamond Dave record, um, you know, but, you know, I mean, obviously it was just like, you know, I remember people just saying like, yeah, he put like a million dollars of his own right. shot this. And he, there's I think there's stills maybe in the book of him just fumbling around in yeah. the studio or whatever and stuff. And uh, yeah, and it's just it's just odd, you know, that they just kind of, you know, he just does those kind of things. You know, Steve, uh, real quick. No big thing. i'll i'll give you that the mute it's not a good song but the lyrics in that are the lyrics the lyrics i've always loved in that song i've always loved the lyrics in that song and so like you know i put it on my iphone and if it comes up playing in the car like sure i might want to turn it down a little bit but uh (laughs) but but i love that some of the lyrics in that song are just i think some of the best stuff he's written you know? I can't. I can't fault the lyrics. I I absolutely love the lyrics in every song on your filthy little yeah, mouth. It was a, it was a, album, yeah, it's some of his best writing lyric wise. And I think that album still has not gotten its 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 just due because I mean it was I mean it's a I I love the album, but it's just a couple songs. Where it's like all right, you're reaching a little bit. Cheating Heart Cafe, love the lyrics. You know, and no big thing musically, but the rest of it, I'll tell you, that record I loved from the very beginning. And I just, from the first time I heard it, I just thought, you know, I can quibble with the sound of it. I mean, I wish that had, I, you know, a, I don't know if, I just don't think Nile Rodgers and him really fit together. It's just an odd sounding record. You know, it's like, where's the rhythm section in that record? You know what I mean? It's just, but as albums go, yeah, I love it. And you're absolutely right on the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was good. And, so, uh, Ink the Original. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, it's not in business as Ink the, uh, Ink the Original. It's under his LLC, which he always says the name of. And 
he changed uh, managers of it about two years ago. He's due to file another statement in the next month or so. How do you know this, Darren? I'm a licensed PI. I, I, but, uh, I knew where to look for this kind of stuff. But it's in business under basically a shell company that he could be getting other royalties or other stuff through. So yeah. it, it's not clear if it exists but his lawyer is on LinkedIn who signed up. Uh, right. Well, that, that's the thing. It's like he's ne he's never I don't think he's ever going to be one of those guys like Hagar or Michael Anthony with his hot sauce or yeah. who is Joe Perry. Doesn't he have hot sauce or something? He like, he's never going to be one of those guys. He's like, this is my product. I'm going to shill this thing until the end of time. Like, Dave, it's just like, hey, I got this uh, stuff for your tattoos. And then like a, a, a month later. You know, you guys are going like, does that even exist anymore? You know, yes. it's like it's just the way he, he operates, I guess, you know. Well, that's the funny thing when you compare that to all those other pr products. Right. I mean, their names are all a part of that for the, mo you know, for the most part or, you know, but this could have easily been David Lee Ross, Inc, yep, Inc, right. Inc, Inc, you know what I mean? And yeah, it just yeah, wasn't. But that was the mystery because it was two years ago. It was like, wow, okay, man, he's getting written up everywhere, and there's press on this, and yeah. you know, you hear about how much money he sunk into it, and then it's like, it's you know, sounds like a great idea for a product, and then, yeah, what and happened? It's it's kind of in a way bringing it back to the script. It's probably in the same way why after 1986 he's going to make this movie. It's about to start. They're all ready to go. They've hired the whole crew, the cast. Then CBS pulls the plug on it. He goes to you know the courts with them get settled whatever happens yeah then he just gives up on it doesn't it's not like a year later he's like all right well we're gonna you know try to uh, find another company to finance this or bring it to somebody else it's just that's it moving on to something else you know the the great producer and writer norman lear says his whole theory for success and for failure is something he calls over and next when it's over it's over and then you're on to the next thing Sure. And if you and if you have the if you have the means and the wherewithal to do to do just about anything you want to do, God bless you. Why don't you know go oh, ahead yeah. and do I mean, it? I wish I, mean, I could live that right? life. That, yeah, he's like living like people are like why is he in Japan? I'm like if I could do why? that, I'd be living in Japan for a couple months too. Like yeah, like what are you crazy? Why is he? In, why is he in Japan with an Iron Man mask on the sub? <laughs> <laughs> with his dog what does yeah. that mean it doesn't well, it's mean like, anything it's yeah. dave <laughs> yeah it's like you go um i think i was in like thailand or something man and it's just like you know everywhere you go it's just like why not you know like why am i gonna do that? why not you know why not why not yeah. why not do that you know so, yeah. so putting that all together though it sounds like this is a guy who has it all figured out in terms of not looking back and no regrets he wants to do something, he does it, and then he moves on to the next thing. And you guys just called that like the script didn't happen. He moved on. The radio thing, that was a bust. He didn't look for a new radio deal. He got his settlement after suing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all these stories end with him in court somehow. <laughs> so, so for all we know, he's like, well, ink the original didn't work. Next. What, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It sounds like it, you know. I mean, that's that's the seem the way that I mean that seems to be the way he's kind of operated for a long time now, you know. Just like moves on to the next thing, you know. Um, yeah, it's odd. I'm waiting for the artwork to just stop, of which it seems to be slowing down a bit. You yeah. know, I, yeah. it's just okay. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping for another song to pop up an hour from now or three months from now. You never know. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. Who knows? If <laughs> it, it's, it's it's funny that like you have some artists like that who, you know, are still about putting out music or whatever, and then you have these other guys who just kind of seem like they just kind of feel like that ship has sailed. Like you know, they'll make these songs or whatever, but like the idea of putting out a record, it just seems like it, there's just no point. You know, what? Yeah. Why? Why bother? You know, like nobody's. It's not, you know, it, people and, are just aren't that interested, you know. And that's that's the mystery to me, because if you I, and this is where I, I can't this is where this is the complete opposite of Dave, where, you know, I always strike. I don't know how you can if you have that kind of creative bent to you. I don't know how you don't how you ever stop creating. Right. It's like I, you whether it comes to music and or whatever. And I think for Dave's, you know, for in Dave's instant, he's creating something all the time. It just. You know, it's not going to be the normal convention or what uh, people expect from him. Yeah. And I mean, that's great. I mean, the, the stuff he does, that artwork, some of it's really 
phenomenal, you know? And I mean, like, uh, you know, and I mean, I think we all kind of know he seems to live a, a pretty kind of, um, for lack of a better term, kind of lonely existence, maybe, you know, I mean, he doesn't, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems like he probably spends a lot of time alone and sitting down and drawing, you know, that entertains, he's entertaining himself. It's something that he enjoys doing, you know, and he's very good at it, you know? So, I mean, I could see where that's how he fills his time, just sitting there drawing, painting, whatever. If he has the urge to be around some people, he goes to the strip club, you know? Seems to be the way he operates, you know? But yeah, for, for better or for worse, maybe he has to figure it out and we don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you never know. But uh, yeah, but it's a it's it's an interesting script to read. I know it's out there. It's if you're a fan, I think it's worked kind of thumbing through. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to really get through the whole script reading it. But uh, but uh, it's it's an interesting sort of like relic, you know, from that time period. Like, you know, I mean, it's very seeped in the 80s and, you know, that whole persona, that Diamond Dave persona, you know. Surprisingly, somebody only calls him Diamond Dave. I think once, <laughs> you know, in the whole in the whole movie. But uh, but you know, there are some funny bits in it. Wow. Well, I'm out of questions. Steve Wan, are you out of questions? <laughs> this has been a blast, Steve. I'll tell yeah, you, I learned a lot, and I love talking about this stuff. And I think we're gonna have to have you back and maybe take a deep dive into your filthy little mouth record, or yeah, or, yeah. or some other uh, some other point of fandom that we're all into. Yeah, no, it'd be great. I'm glad I got to talk to you guys. I enjoy the podcast quite a bit. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's always fun talking to some fellow fans, you know, of that, uh, of that crazy band that we follow and, uh, have been fans of, you know, exactly. Right What's the best place to find you on the web? So we know when joint films is yeah. in its thing. Yeah. Jointfilms.com. You can get to everything through that. You know, uh, we're working on a new film right now. We're going to sh- next weekend. We're shooting some stuff. So uh, pray for sunny weather for us because it's all exteriors. So, you know, you got to hope that Mother Nature cooperates. We'll pray for sunny weather, but for them to not be crazy from the. Hey! <laughs> That's why you get paid the big bucks, right? That's why you make more than Steve, right? Hold <laughs> that in my most favored nations clause, you know, both of those things. You know, Steve, Steve uh, likes to party. I am the party. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a, you know, not to kind of drag this on anymore, but that, that joke comes up in the script. He says, course, we're having a party. He's, well, a version of that. He says, oh, Dave, what do, his manager, Dave, what are we having a party here? He's like, no, nah, I can't take credit for that. I just bring the guest list, you know, because he <laughs> shows up with like a thousand people or what have you. Uh, <laughs> the, really quick, the interesting thing, would have been if he had made the film would steve Vai and billy sheen and greg bissonette appeared because there is one scene near the end i think they go to a strip club and he mentions in the script that there's two guitarists on stage with this girl while she's stripping and i and when i read that i instantly was like oh i wonder if you know steve Vai and billy sheen were gonna like that was like his opportunity to kind of get them into the film or something like that but uh but yeah, anyways. Yeah, Two it's been guitarists, it could have been Steve Vine, Ralph Macchio. Well, yeah. That would have been that would have been that would have drove a lot of uh, people into the theaters, I'm sure. Crossroads. Crossroads, <laughs> exactly. Doesn't hold up, but what can you do? Uh thank hey, you. Guys, it's been great. I, I really enjoyed this. You know, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. Nothing but yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. All right, have a good one.